This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains and globalization and the effects these developments have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent times. Today we will be talking to Art Schick, founder of Alpha Sierra Global, a consultancy practice based in Massachusetts in the US, specializing in strategy and operational consulting to firms that focus on consumer products, flavor compounding and ingredients, including startups. Art is a former vice president of purchasing with PepsiCo. And in this interview, Art and I will be discussing the topic of trade secrets, what they are, why companies often overlook their value and how to identify and protect them. So Art, delighted to have you with us here today. You're very welcome. Patrick, it's a pleasure to spend some time with you. Likewise. So, Art, to kick off, could you tell me an overview a little bit about your background and your career to date? Sure thing. Well, I was educated as a chemical engineer and then later completed an MBA in finance. And uh, interestingly, the reason for the finance degree is I was always interested in leveraging technology more to build the business than just for technology's sake. But my entire career was in consumer products. I started with Procter & Gamble Company in research and development and specifically product and process development and spent a handful of years there, and then moved over to PepsiCo in some very uh, similar roles. Um, when I, uh, I worked for PepsiCo for about 35 years, as I mentioned, I started in R&D, also had an opportunity to do some financial planning and analysis work for them, but spent the better part of my 35 years with them in positions of uh, increasing responsibility in procurement, manufacturing, and supply chain. And I spent nearly the last 20 years of my career uh, working in their global beverage division and managing all the all of their proprietary flavor ingredients and proprietary flavor formulations for beverages. And uh, this taught me a great deal about intellectual property, uh, trade secrets, and most importantly, how to protect those trade secrets operationally. And at Alpha Sierra Global, your consultancy practices, what are the services that you provide? And typically, who are your clients? And how are they better off after, have, after having worked with you? Yeah, Patrick, when I retired um, in mid-2020, I wanted to form my own consulting company and to keep active, but also, quite honestly, to give back to small and medium-sized companies you know, who could leverage my knowledge and expertise. Uh, my first project was developing a US-based warehousing facility for an international food ingredient supplier who previously had no physical presence in the United States. It was a very interesting project because it taught something that you well know, warehouse space across the globe is quite limited. Uh, This particular company was looking in the greater New York area, so it was quite a challenge. But after several attempts, we did find a uh, a very solid third-party warehouse, which the supplier is now successfully uh, using. I've also provided advice to a few product startup-based companies, specifically in the area of product development, formulation, and commercialization. And uh, more recently, I've been focusing more in the area of uh, intellectual property protection, and specifically, you know, how to protect trade secrets operationally within a company. I'm currently working with a uh, technology product company, and I found that uh, many years of my experience at PepsiCo and beverages and how to protect those trade secrets are definitely translatable to uh, their technology products. And what is it that is, or what is it that constitutes intellectual property? Good question, uh, Patrick. Um, look, many corporations have all sorts of type of information. There's public information, and then there's kind of private and confidential information of which intellectual property is part. I, th- I think most people understand public information is information that the corporation actually publishes or you know, freely shares with society. And confidential information could be things like employee records, 
could be organizational charts, financial results, or, or any information that's, let's say, not ready to be made public. Um, that also includes intellectual property. And there's really four main types of intellectual property. There's trademarks, there's copyrights, there's patents, and of course, there's trade secrets. And what's the, what are the key features of and distinctions between trademark, copyrights, patents, and trade secrets, those four types that you mentioned? And in particular, what constitutes a trade secret? Well, I have to tell you, Patrick, it's a big area. I mean, we could spend hours on those four topics alone, but I'll, I'll try to simplify as best I can. Uh, look, trademarks and copyrights are used to market your product or service. Um, trademarks are registered uh, with the nation in which you plan to use that trademark, and they're really used to describe the product or service. So think about the brand name Pepsi would be a trademarked brand name. And in the United States, you would know that something is trademarked because there'd be a circle R or a capital TM symbol you know, next to the brand name on printed material. Uh, copyrights are exclusive rights to express your idea, whether they be written words like a book, uh, visual pictures or symbols, or even music like an advertising jingle. I oftentimes think of the AT&T commercials where they just have a few sound beeps, you know, which identify it as an AT&T commercial. And these, of course, can also be registered in, in the country of use. Now, patents, I think most people know patents, and, and these deal with novel, unique inventions that are pretty much fully disclosed in the patent documents. And the, these patents are legally registered with the specific countries across the globe. And they generally provide the patent owner uh, 20 years of exclusive use of that technology in the registered country. And the patent owner can certainly prevent a competitor from using that technology in that registered country. So it's really a very powerful legal protection of your competitive advantage in your technology. However, patents do have some downsides. Uh, they can certainly be expensive to maintain on a global basis because you have to register them in all these different countries. Um, they are limited in life. Now, most people would think 20 years is a long time, but I think most companies would like to leverage their technical and competitive advantage for much longer than 20 years. And also in the patents, their novel technology and invention is mostly described. So if there are nations out there that don't follow international patent rules and regulations, you could have a rogue supplier or competitor in that particular country, and they could leverage that technology freely. Trade secrets, on the other hand, is really anything that drives value and a competitive advantage for a company. And it can include things like processes or methods of assembly, design systems, algorithms, formulas, et cetera. They could be novel, but they don't need to be novel. And I think that's an important distinction versus patents. Patents must be novel and unique. And so long as the trade secret holder can keep those trade secrets secret, they last forever. So you can have that competitive advantage forever, which is definitely very, very powerful. Now, there are some disadvantages with trade secrets. And the key disadvantage is you have to keep them secret. So they, they can be very, very fragile. And so why do some companies actually overlook their trade secrets or not have the awareness that they possess IP that could constitute a trade secret? And what are the undesirable consequences of that lack of awareness or that uh, having overlooked the, uh, the trade secret or the value of it? Well, the consequences can be substantial. And uh, let me explain. So I think every company wants to market a product or service. And so clearly their marketing organizations are quite familiar with trademarks and copyrights, as would be their law department in, in registering those marks in various countries across the globe. And most people have heard of patents and companies can hire lawyers to write them and, and register them across the globe. I feel trade secrets sometimes are just less obvious to most people. 
you know, as I mentioned, they can be, but don't need to be novel. Um, as an example, it's common for a manufacturing company to go through lots of pain getting a manufacturing process to work efficiently with a high level of product quality or a low cost. And through months or sometimes years of work to get the process right, they develop all sorts of special ways to achieve those objectives. And they never really sit back and think about, hmm, all these things that I've developed, are they special or not? Do they drive significant value? Are these things that a competitor would love to know? These are truly trade secrets. So unless there's conscious work to identify these trade secrets, the company could actually end up losing those trade secrets to a competitor and therefore losing their competitive advantage. So let me give you a couple of examples. So social media can be the bane of, of trade secrets. Um, I always use the example of, let's say, a young engineer who solves a significant bottleneck issue in a manufacturing process. And then he rapidly goes out and posts his solution on social media to brag and share with his friends. Bang, instantaneously, a trade secret could be lost. Or worse, he's now sharing prior art, which would invalidate a future patent application. And another great example is um, your marketing team you know, wants to demonstrate to an enormous potential customer the manufacturing prowess of the company. And they make a promotional video of the manuf your manufacturing technology. And before you know it, trade secrets are lost or exposed in this marketing material that gets sent out. So those two examples, I think, give a great example of the fragility of these trade secrets and, and what you have to avoid. Yeah, so it's almost uh, naivety and vanity and just a lack of awareness, really, isn't it? It is absolutely, Patrick, absolutely. So how, how do you advise companies then to go about identifying, codifying, and protecting their trade secrets? Well, look, like most things in life, it has to, it really needs to be a deliberate process that's taken across the organization. You know, when you think about technology or trade secrets, most people think about the R&D and the manufacturing functions. But in reality, it's all functions across the organization. It can include information technology, procurement, quality control, finance, marketing. And you really need to to work within the company to identify what are the key value drivers that are creating the competitive advantage. So I always say that if someone can take your product and bring it over to their lab bench and reverse engineer it, anything that they can see and reverse engineer is probably technology that's best protected by a patent. However, if you have unique technology that's behind the scenes that a competitor can't see in reverse engineering the product on their lab bench, that's definitely trade secret information and the material that you want to treat as a trade secret. Now, now I have found a consultant like myself can be very helpful in this area. And, and Patrick, the reason why is because most companies have been doing things their way for a long time period. And they don't necessarily think that maybe this process or method of assembly, system formula algorithm is particularly unique because they've been doing it for such a long time period. And I personally believe that every company has trade secrets. They just may not realize it. Okay, so specifically, what would someone like myself do? I've generally found that where to get started is to interview various functional staff within the organization. Certainly, that can include manufacturing and R&D and reviewing their facilities, but also procurement, QC, and information technology. And I found also after those interviews that sometimes you can then have a cross-functional brainstorming session, and you can pretty quickly begin to identify what are the core value drivers within the organization and therefore what are some of the key trade secrets. And what are some of the best practices then that some of the better companies adopt to protect their secrets? Well, the way to protect trade secrets legally is to make sure that you have in place 
what's called reasonable measures to protect them. Now, remember, we said that in order to maintain a trade secret, you have to keep it secret. And trade secret laws require that durable, reasonable measures be in place. The big challenge here, of course, is that in most laws, these reasonable measures are not truly codified. Um, however, these reasonable measures do need to be proportional to the overall value of a trade secret. So if there's a trade secret of relatively low value, maybe it's on hard copy or an information system, maybe that gets locked into a file cabinet and there's limited employee access. Well, let's say if you have a trade secret of exceptionally high value, in that case, you may only want two or three employees in the organization to really have access to that full information and the ability to leverage that full information. So these durable measures really reduce the fragility of the trade secret. And so, as I mentioned, if you have, if you, if someone were to have stolen a trade secret, the owner of the trade secret would have to demonstrate in a court that they consider this to be a trade secret and they did have durable measures in place. And if an employee, let's say, stole it, they use some sort of extraordinary methods of, let's say, um, stealing that trade secret. Otherwise, they would lose, you know, in a court of law. So let's talk a little more about best practices. So the best practices are really driven out of this entire concept of, of reasonable measures. So really, the most important place to start is really dealing with the culture of the organization. There has to be a culture formed early in the organization that trade secrets are important, and there are certain correct ways of managing those trade secrets. I think Apple, I think, is a great example of a, a company that has a tremendous trade secret culture. I mean, think about it. Anytime uh, anyone hears that there's a new technology that's being developed in Apple or a potential product that's going to be launched, every magazine and newspaper in the world is trying to get the first picture or the first information of what that product is going to do or what it's going to look like. And that generally doesn't happen until Apple is fully ready to disclose that invention. And this is because they live and breathe secrecy. And they have extensive reasonable measures in place to prevent early disclosure of inventions and products. And they do that by making sure that their employees are really well-trained on how to protect trade secrets. And so really, best, from a best practice perspective, culture and training is really the first place to start uh, within an organization. And when we talk about training, we could also spend a large, large amount of time on that, Patrick. But as I go through some of the other best practices, I think you'll see these are also some of the elements that need to be uh, your employees need to be trained on. So, you know, it's an unfortunate fact that 90% of trade secrets are lost or stolen by employees. So I mentioned about the unintentional loss through the social media disclosure earlier, but really most other employee theft is really intentional. And yes, industrial espionage is real, but factually it's a much smaller portion of, of trade secret theft. 93.9 Dublin South FM. Now, to get started, any company must have strong employment agreements that need to be signed when they're hiring on people within the organization. And these agreements should contain confidentiality provisions, should explain to the employee that they are dealing with or may see confidential information or trade secret information during their employment. And they also have to have strong um, in the invention assignment clauses to the company. I think the one aspect that's also very, very important related to these employment agreements that I think a lot of companies skip is when an employee is leaving your organization, it's absolutely essential that you remind them of those confidentiality provisions and their requirement to keep any of the corporate trade secrets secret. Then there's some simple things. Um, site security, 
you know, do you have a fence around your facilities? Do you have maybe a welcoming receptionist to make sure that there's not people just walking willy-nilly through your offices? You know, do your employees have badge access to get into the facility? And certainly for super duper really sensitive manufacturing areas and research and development areas, do you have specific badge entry access for employees and only for employees that have a real need to know to get into those specific areas? I mean, that's really one excellent practice that a company can have. Now, interestingly, trade secret information, you now know of it, but it also has to be marked as such. So think about it, whether it's a hard copy document or electronic document, it's probably best to have a big red stamp, you know, restricted and confidential on it so that the employees know this is restricted information and should only be shared on a need-to-know basis. Now, many times in corporations, they may need to share some portion of a trade secret with a third party. I think sometimes a great example, if, if you're trying to improve, let's say, the performance of a particular part in your product, and but you know that there's a third-party supplier out there that may have technology which can help you, what you definitely want to make sure you do is you have in place a legally reviewed non-disclosure agreement with that third-party supplier, and importantly, have that agreement signed and in place before any trade secret information is shared or any part samples, except, uh, et cetera, are shared with that organization. Another area is information technology. Um, as you know, IT systems nowadays hold a tremendous amount of corporate information, whether it's designs, assembly procedures, formulas, algorithms, et cetera. And we all know that cybersecurity is a hot area in many companies, and that's gonna to continue to be the case for many, many years. I would recommend that if you really have important trade secrets, that they should be maintained in highly secure IT systems. And those trade secrets should really not be uh, stored in your general ERP system, particularly an ERP system that has wide company access, because that certainly uh, already breaks the reasonable measure where you only want people to have access to information on a need-to-know basis. And then lastly, on the IT system area, because I'm far from an IT expert, but any IT system should also go through annual penetration testing with a reputable external firm that specializes in that area. And of course, you wanna make sure as an organization that you're implementing any of the recommendations that they come up with. Now, in some- Sorry, go No, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Now, I was also going to say that um, in some cases, some trade secret information needs to be on hard copy documents, sometimes shared in, in meetings and such. And certainly anytime you have hard copy trade secret information, it should be stored in locked file cabinets or, or file safes. And again, you want to make sure that people that have access to that information is highly limited and also only to people that have a specific need to know. Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating and uh, kind of complex area when you get into it. And I think one um, that's relevant to many, many companies, but to many companies who don't actually realize yet that it's relevant to them. And given uh, the world we live in with social media and with uh, cyber threats, it, it really is an area, I think, um, ripe for, for development. Would you agree? Oh, I would agree 100%. And as we've been discussing, it's truly an area where companies have to make conscious efforts to improve and support within their organization, or they're at risk in losing a significant competitive advantage. And then finally, Patrick, I think the other critically important best practice is you want the corporation to develop what I call an intellectual property committee within the organization. And what would this be? This would be a cross functional team. Uh, made up of a select group of employees 
uh, who either develop or have to leverage IP in, in their daily use. But this committee would be relatively small compared to the overall organization. I mean, I'm thinking like 5% of your employee base or less. And this committee would also be run by, let's say, three to five senior executives uh, within the corporation. And when I'm speaking about senior executives, I'm, I'm talking about possibly even the CEO, but probably more commonly um, uh, senior executives reporting into the CEO. And, and this gets back to the whole culture piece. If, the, if this is not an important area for the senior management team, it, it's not going to happen. And it really takes senior management leadership to make sure that the right policies, procedures, and, and reasonable measures are put in place to be successful in this area. Okay, so, so you formed this committee. What, what, is, what is this committee going to do? Well, several, it can do several things. So as an example, as new technologies are being developed within the organization, this committee can actually help to make a decision. Is this a technology I want to patent because someone reverse engineering my product could see it? Or is this something that I want to maintain as a trade secret? And if, a, if it is going to be maintained as a trade secret, who has a need to know and how are we going to protect that trade secret? Um, are there risks coming down against our trade secrets or against our patents? Do we have gaps in our trade secret protection, particularly if let's say the IT infrastructure changes over time? What programs are we going to put in place to further strengthen the protection of our trade secrets? So this committee is exceptionally important, I think not for not only the program and protecting of the trade secrets, but also legally because it's a way for these companies to demonstrate they have ongoing programs in place and durable, reasonable measures in place to legally protect their trade secrets. Okay, we might just change uh, tack now, uh, Art. There's a question that I like to ask everybody who comes on the show, and you, you, you're a great person, I think, to ask this question because you, you have worked with one of those multinational corporations that really are a manifestation of the globalization that we've all lived through. Um, basically since 1970, and particularly since 1990, after um, the Berlin Wall came down and the U Soviet Union um, collapsed. But it seems that in, in recent years, um, you know, with, with COVID and with Brexit and now with the war in, in Europe, as if globalization maybe is, is stalling or, or even going backwards. So what's your own view on where we are with this whole process of, of economic uh, globalization at this juncture in 2022? Well, Patrick, you're being kind because as someone who's been involved in supply chain for a long time period, I've got a lot of scars on my back. Um, <laughs> but as you point out, the uh, the world is very, very quickly changing. And, um, you know, like yourself, I hear a lot about um, reshoring and uh, local sourcing. And, and I believe some of that is occurring and some of that will occur in the world. Um, however, economically, I think full reshoring is, is just not advantageous and, and, and may not be economically possible for all organizations. Um, I, I truly believe the real answer is developing a supply chain strategy based upon the concept of resiliency. Now, I know resiliency is many things, um, and, and this is a topic that has been talked about by a lot of different people, but let me share with you a couple of my examples of what I mean by resiliency. So first of all, you really need to understand your supply chain for all of your raw materials. And I mean, go, going back into the third tier or uh, earlier, you know, in your supplier, supplier, supply chain, um, you really want to be sure that you understand um, how diversified your supply chain is. And is it coming from multiple geographies, mul multiple countries, multiple manufacturing sites? Because the more uh, locations you have, in some cases, you're, you're better protected than otherwise. Now, where multiple sources of supply cannot be achieved, 
then you really need to start to look at, you know, what are the supply risks that I'm absorbing? Are they geopolitical? Uh, certainly at PepsiCo, I work with a lot of agriculture products. And so you're really dealing with weather patterns and, and crop yields. And you need to really think about where I have, let's say, limited sources of supply. What's an appropriate inventory strategy for that particular you know, key raw material? I think another area of resiliency is really what's the level of manufacturing redundancy that you have? Um, and do you have that across different geographies and different countries? And so if one operation would fail and couldn't produce, you have capacity somewhere else to make up for that shortfall. Another area is um, standardizing parts across your products as, as best you can. Um, this way, if there were a shortage of parts in general, you could at least move the parts that you do have to your higher margin products. Uh, Patrick, you're well aware that um, part standardization has been part of the automobile industry for quite some time. And certainly the recent uh, semiconductor shortage has just brought this to fore. And uh, um, the manuf automobile manufacturers are doing all they can to create more redundancy um, in their uh, semiconductor world. So resiliency will cost more, but I, but I don't think it's going to be as much as it would be to completely you know, reshore or have local sourcing. And, and I do feel that over time, we'll be developing uh, more technology and, and capability in this area. Mm -hmm. Now, there's certainly lots of changes underway at the moment. Um, so yeah, we're seeing these concepts of, of redundancy. We're seeing, seeing a lot of um, automation to bring manufacturing back perhaps to countries where the labor is, is more expensive. Um, and I think we're going to see quite a lot of change over um, coming two, three, four, five years. I would agree with you. Yeah. So uh, just as we come into the last couple of minutes, uh, Art, we maybe change uh, tack slightly uh, again. And maybe that's a, that's a key to what you're going to answer, changing tack. You know? So what do you like to do in your spare time? Uh, I appreciate you asking. Well, you know, I've, I've, I've always enjoyed the ocean and I've always loved boating and uh, becoming more of an active uh, fisherman. And of course, uh, retiring in Massachusetts in a beach community has, has helped with those passions. Uh, I'm also trying to reintroduce myself to golf, which as most people know, can be quite a challenge and in many ways, quite, quite frustrating. Well, you know, Ireland is a, is a golfer's paradise. Have you played here? I have many times. Um, I'm, sh I'm sure there's a few broken windows. <laughs> <laughs> Are you reading anything at the moment or listening to anything, podcast or ebook that you'd recommend that particularly inspires you? Uh, yeah, Patrick, my interests really are, are pretty wide. And of course, you know, having some free time in retirement, it gives me the opportunity to, let's say, go outside of my traditional supply chain background. Um, obviously, with my hobbies, I, I do read a fair amount of boating and fishing magazines. And I've recently completed two uh, books on how to improve my golf game. Now, I only wish that, you know, physically making those changes would be as easy as reading the books about them. Um, Not downloadable. Yeah, I, I have completed two books recently on, on global warming, and I have found those topics to be quite interesting. And um, I was actually, uh, they, were somewhat in, uh, they were somewhat encouraging because they, they did demonstrate that there could be some solutions, but unfortunately, they're, they're likely decades away. Uh, the one book I liked the most was, uh, was titled Enlightenment Now by Steven Pinker, and it talked about how society indeed has improved you know, over the centuries, and it was a, a bit of an uplifting book. And then more recently, I just finished a book on how the VC world works, and, and that was quite interesting and fascinating because it's something I wasn't very familiar with at all. 
Yeah, yeah. Pinker, Pinker's good because he tends to be uh, he tends to be quite optimistic about the world and where we are, and uh, he bases it on on data rather than on feeling. So I think he's he's quite he's he's quite uplifting sometimes. Well, and I would say his book was uh, as a as a as a someone who's been educated as an engineer, he does present a lot of facts and data, and I found that uh, you know quite refreshing. Exactly, exactly. So to fa- to finish then, Art, um, where can people find out more about you, your your current work, and how can they contact you? Well, that's very simple, Pat. I mean, they can certainly reach me through my LinkedIn profile. It's Art Schick, um, or certainly Pat through yourself, um, and would love to help anybody with their uh, trade secret requirements. Excellent. It's been an absolute pleasure, Art, talking to you today. Wish you the very best uh, for the future, uh, both personally and professionally. Patrick, thank you for this opportunity. Very welcome, Art. Thanks also to our listeners for tuning in. Any comments and questions, just drop me a line on P-D-A-L-Y, that's pdaily at albalogistics.com. Keep well and stay safe until next time. Bye.